Staying sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. We provided Russia an ample window of time to mend its ways and for Russia to honor its commitment. Russia has refused to take any steps to return real and verifiable compliance over these 60 days. The United States will therefore suspend its obligations under the INF Treaty. The White House says State of the Union address will be one that focuses on unity and bipartisanship. But the president on Friday did not sound like he wants to extend an olive branch to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Well, he certainly will address the border wall, but also national security and border security, immigration overall. This is an address to the nation, but he's in the chamber in front of the Congress that has failed to do its job for any number of years, if not decades, on getting us an immigration plan in this country that, of course, secures our southern border. And now, Stacey Washington. Oh, welcome back to the program. Thanks for mo- so much for being here today and uh, for tuning in and uh, just everything. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, we have a ton of content that we want to kind of work our way through. And so I want to start off with some comments from the president during his long-ranging interview that he did out of the White House. He says that Nancy Pelosi is playing games. She wants open borders and doesn't mind human trafficking. And he's so right on this. But I love to hear the president talk about this because um, I don't. I just don't feel like enough Americans really are, are informed. And I get that a lot of people are hearing some news, but I mean news directly from the president and that when they're hearing it, they're not having the echo of every major news outlet from those who call themselves Republicans like Joe Scarborough on the, all the way down the line. Everyone's saying something similar, which is, well, you know, President Trump is a liar. President Trump doesn't do, you know, he's, he's not, he's, he's a Russian agent. He's not doing the things that he needs to do for the American people. He hates America, yada, yada, yada. This is the kind of stuff that people are saying on a regular basis that that stuff rolls around in your brain and it, it takes root. That's why you're not supposed to listen to lies because it can get down into you and change the way you think and make you less wise. But that's what's happening to a ton of Americans and unbeknownst to them because they're really, they're busy doing other things. Not everyone has their primary political suit being news and information. And so if your pursuits take you in other directions and you're busy maybe working on an edu- getting an education, working in a you know high stress career field like science or the law or something like that, you just don't have time to, to watch a lot of news. What little you catch, you would think that President Trump is some kind of evil despot or dis- dictator. And he's not. He's nowhere close to those things. He's doing a fantastic job, actually. But you know, if I say anything nice about him, you're just in President Trump's pocket. How much is he paying you? Blah, blah, blah. Nothing. The president doesn't pay me anything. He doesn't actually even know I exist. We haven't met. So, uh, you know, thank you. But next. No, none of that's going on. So here he is. He's got this. We have two little clips for you um, where he's talking about this this issue at the southern border. It's 3A. Well, we're going to have to see what happens on February 15th. And You're not taking I, it off I think, the table. Well, I don't, I don't take anything off the table. I don't like to take things off the table. Uh, it's that alternative. It's national emergency. It's other things. And, you know, there have been plenty national emergencies called. And this really is an invasion of our country by human traffickers. These are people that are horrible people bringing in women mostly, but bringing in women and children into our country, human trafficking, and uh, we're going to have a strong border. And the only way you have a strong border is you need a physical barrier, you need a wall. And anybody that says you don't, they're just playing games. So it is, it is actually pretty interesting to hear the president say they're just playing games. And I understand what he's saying. I'm actually not critical of the comment. But I do think the information that we shared, and if you, did, if you didn't hear the show that day, I'll, I'll just give you a brief recap right here, right now. Um, this is so important. I think it's, it's, it's worth sharing and kind of digging into again. This article, which is over at Conservative Review, and I've posted it on my Facebook page. But if you're not on Facebook, just go to conservativereview.com. It's on their homepage. You have to scroll down a little bit. It's time to designate the Mexican cartels as terrorist organizations, and it's by Daniel Horowitz. Daniel Horowitz is, I think he's the editor-in-chief of Conservative Review, if I'm not mistaken. And he's talking about how the drug cartels, the Mexican drug cartels, Sinaloa, Zetas, Juarez, Jalisco, Gulf, La Familia, Machocan, uh, Los Guerreros Unidos, and 
all others are there should all be declared foreign terrorist organizations as opposed to transnational criminal organizations. One designation, the criminal designation, allows law enforcement to operate in different ways uh, to coordinate between agencies, et cetera, et cetera. But the terrorism designation would allow our military to get involved in those resources, and it would allow us to actually snuff out the, uh, the, the drug cartels as opposed to fighting them like criminal organizations. And if, if these guys were just laundering money, you know, or, or, or things like that, it would be one thing, but they're smuggling human beings in and out of the country. They're selling people into slavery and they're waging war on our border patrol agents and on Americans through the illicit sale of illegal drugs. This is something that has to be stopped. So when he says Democrats are playing games, sure, it's gamesmanship, but we're talking about games that are costing lives, 70,000 lives a year. The vice president said just today in a quote from him, 300 lives a week to opioid overdoses here in this country. Now, that number might sound tiny. 300 people a week. There's 320 some odd million of us, give or take the illegals. You know, I mean, people are going to die of something. I've, I've heard people say stuff like that. It's their own fault. They're addicted to drugs. What, what are we going to do about it? I've heard people have actually said that to me. Yeah, you can take that cavalier attitude about it unless it's your kid. If it's your dad, if it's your uncle, if it's someone you know, someone that up until they got just basically this drug puts its hooks into these people and they can't get free. It's like literally having some kind of fish hook or whatever kind of hook you can think of, only instead of it being in a fish, it's in a person. And no matter what the, the person does to try to get free from it, they can't get it out. That's what the drug addiction is like. Only instead of it just being the pain of the hook, it's all the family members trying. You should get that out of you. You should stop doing that. Let's take you someplace and get, get it out of you. And just when you think it's out, you come out of the treatment center and it's still there and you're back using the drugs again. And these transnational criminal organizations, which should be terrorist organizations, they don't care if they've made uh, some heroin and laced it with fentanyl and the fentanyl isn't pure or it's too much fentanyl per gram of heroin. They're, it's not like they're sitting up saying, you know, the last batch killed a bunch of people. What should we do? No, they're like, you know, that last batch sold really well, so make it the same. It's killing people. Yeah, but it's really strong and they're paying more for it. So, you know, buyer beware. You're buying illegal drugs for goodness sakes. You should know better. That's their take on it. They're there to make money. They're there to exercise power and control. They're there to mark off their territory and sell drugs within that territory and expand that territory. That's why they don't just sell it to us. They also go into other countries and sell it. That's, that's the Mexican drug cartels are not just selling it to us. They're in other countries, wherever there's money and disposable income and people who are bored enough or you know, foolish enough to use drugs, they're, they're involved there. So Remember the Bible verse that we shared last week about how it is our responsibility. If you see someone about to jump off a, a bridge, you don't just stand there and get your cell phone out. You're supposed to go over there and try to stop them. You should see someone, you know, a child running into the street. You're not supposed to just get your cell phone out and watch. You're supposed to stop them. You see someone who is being raped. You're not supposed to get your cell phone out. You're supposed to stop it. If someone is being robbed at gunpoint and you are a concealed carry member. You know what to do. You, you know, come on. So, we have to listen to what the president is saying about the whole, you know, the, the, this is a drug cartel, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it, it's a game that Nancy's playing. Yeah, but it's a game that's costing people's lives. Remember how we've talked on the show about so much, um, so much we've talked about um, how when people don't do their jobs, other people die. And we talked about PG&E and they're not maintaining the power lines, not maintaining the, the area around their assets. And those that's where the, the power lines intersected with ultra dry brush people at the um, in, Environmental Protection Agency and other the interior ministry of the, you know, they take care of the forests and the lands and all the, um, the, uh, the, the basically land that's set aside for the federal government. And then when they don't do their job to burn the brush, when they listen to the environmentalists who say, you can't, you can't do controlled burns, you can't clear out the underbrush, you're destroying nature. Well, if you don't tend the garden, the garden will burn. And when it burns super, super hot, then what? Right? Then what? Well, people die. And that's what's happened. So it's a game, yes, but it's a game that costs lives. And when we're talking about lives, 
I don't know if a, if calling it a game is the appropriate, you know, if that's exactly the way we want to term it. So let's listen to the president. He just a little bit more here. Um, he talks about the border issue some more, and, and it's 3B. Well, I think that uh, she was very rigid, which I would expect, but I think she's very bad for our country. Uh, she knows that you need a barrier. She knows that we need border security. She wanted to win a political point. I happen to think it's very bad politics because basically she wants open borders. She doesn't mind human trafficking or she wouldn't do this because, you know, she the offered you over a billion dollars for border security. Excuse me. She offered over a billion dollars for border security. Uh, she doesn't want the wall. She's costing the country hundreds of billions of dollars because what's happening is when you have a porous border and when you have drugs pouring in, and when you have people dying all over the country because of people like Nancy Pelosi, who don't want to give proper border security for political reasons, she's doing a terrible disservice to our country. And on the 15th, we have now set the table beautifully because everybody knows what's going on because of the shutdown. People that didn't have any idea, they didn't have a clue as to what was happening, they now know exactly what's happening. They see human trafficking. They see drugs in gangs criminals pouring in. Now, we catch them because we're doing a great job. But if we had proper border security, we wouldn't have to work so hard and we could do an even better job. And I think Nancy Pelosi is doing a terrible disservice to the people of our country. And he was very presidential there because there are other terms he could have used for what Nancy Pelosi is doing. And, and, and I'll, I'll just say this to you, okay? Um, this, this interviewer, she's like, acting like she works on Nancy Pelosi's staff. Well, she offered you a billion dollars. And what's that going to do? Remember, if, if the Border Patrol didn't have to spend so much time with catch and release with people who cross over the border illegally through the open parts, they could focus more on stopping the flow of drugs. They're catching just tons and tons, literal tons, not tons and tons, the euphemism, but actual tons of drugs. They're stopping them. They're confiscating them. But for every ton they catch, how much more is flowing through that they can't catch because there just aren't enough of them to patrol a 2,300-mile border with only half of it being fenced and walled, possibly? It's ridiculous that this is even a thing. So the president, um, he's going to talk about that tonight and so much more. I also, I didn't mention that Gary Simaka, VP of Consumer Action for a Strong Economy, he's our guest this hour. He's up next right after the uh, messages. I want to give you the India Partners information. We're asking you to help us save boys and girls as young as eight years old from being trafficked and sold into the red light areas of Mumbai, India. India Partners is a ministry which operates safe, operates safe houses away from the red light districts of Mumbai where children of trafficked women can escape the brothel areas and be relocated. $7.08 provides one day of safety. $50 provides about a week of safety and rescue and care. And $100 provides about two weeks of safety. So no one, especially a child, should be bought, sold, or even exposed to living in the red light district. And so we ask you to call 877-616-2396, 877-616-2396, or give online, my preferred method, at AFR.net. It's super fast and easy. Um, we have wonderful volunteers who man the phones. I love those guys, but I also just like to get it done. I get to get in, get out when I do donations this way. Uh, $50 provides a week of safety. We're looking for each of our listeners to do one day of safety at $7.08, and we need you. Um, we appreciate you so much, and I just love how responsive our audience is here at American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk, and I love how people in our ministry who are partnered with us are so kind-hearted and loving and love God. And so this is something that uh, American Family Radio feels strongly about, and we're partnering with uh, India Partners this week. I'll give you the number one more time, 877-616-2396, or go to AFR.net and uh, provide a day of safety for a child living in Mumbai, India. So, oh, perfect. Hey, I might be doing this radio thing right. Do you hear the music? I just segued on into that. When we get back, we're going to have Jerry Simeka. He's a VP of Consumer Action for a Strong Economy. He's going to talk to us about a super important subject right here on the show. You stay there. Here's Walker Wildman for Redeem Clean Laundry Products. 
Not only do you get a great product and you get to obviously clean your clothes, get the stains out and use the multi-surface cleaner to clean your countertops and use the dryer sheets. You're doing all of this and the money's going to support the work of American Family Association. Redeem Clean Laundry products were developed by AFA supporters Lynn Ingram and Jim Duncan to assist in funding the mission of the American Family Association. Redeem Clean products work as well as or better than other products on the market. They're environmentally safe, biodegradable, and they're made right here in the United States. The great thing about Redeem Clean is not only is the product great, but it goes to support a great cause, and that is the work of American Family Association. For clean laundry and a cleaner society, it's Redeem Clean. Visit redeemclean.afastore.net. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. The American Psychological Association recently identified another social problem that needs to be addressed by counselors, traditional masculinity. This new report once again illustrates that the APA is frequently driven by politics rather than science. The APA guidelines triggered an immediate online backlash. That led them to issue another statement and begin to redefine what they meant by traditional masculinity. The authors began by trotting out legitimate concerns about men who are sexually abusive or disrespectful. Here's a suggestion. Before you start throwing out terms like toxic masculinity or talk about the dangers of traditional masculinity, define your terms. Yes, some men act like boars or jerks, but most men know that boorish or obnoxious behavior is not masculinity. To its credit, the APA report opens with a sobering analysis of how badly boys and men are doing in America today. They're twice as likely to be diagnosed with ADHD. They use drugs and alcohol more than women. Men are three and a half times more likely to commit suicide than women. We can add other social factors. A very high percentage of men are in prison. More women graduate from high school and college than men. And while women's wages have risen over the last few decades, men's wages have been static. Perhaps it is time to remind the APA that traditional masculinity helped build Western civilization and protected us from the barbarians who wanted to destroy it. Men with masculinity used to protect femininity by teaching manners to their sons and admonishing them to treat women with dignity and respect. The APA might want to survey women. I predict that few would complain that men are too masculine. Most of them will lament that men today lack masculinity. The APA has it exactly backwards. I'm Kirby Anderson. And that's my point of view. Take Kirby and the Point of View team with you on the go with the Point of View app. Search for Point of View Radio at the Apple or Google Play stores. You can download episodes of Stacy of the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for being here. Follow me on Twitter at Stacy on the Right. And uh, right now it's my pleasure to welcome our next guest to the show. It's Jerry Simeka, VP of Consumer Action for a Strong Economy. Jerry, thanks for joining in today. Hey, Stacy. Thank you for having me. Hey, I'm excited to talk to you about this. This is about colleges, career colleges and universities. And um, liberal senators are using government agencies like the IRS and VA to move against these places? What's what's going on here? Yeah, and House members, too. It's um, you would, They're at it again, just like they want to control the Internet, health care, energy, and the courts. The liberals are unfortunately uh, out of power right now. They don't have the Department of Education, but that's not stopping them from going after the people they don't see as uh, suitable to be part of the education establishment. And uh, so they are waging attacks on various fronts against uh uh, for-profit, non-profit, private colleges. And these are the ones that, uh, you know, these are the schools that uh, do an absolutely amazing job for um, adult learners, people with families, at a time when our country is facing a critical mass of um, uh, need for skilled laborers, laborers and skilled workers. These are exactly the kind of schools that are filling the need. So um, it is a problem, and we want to highlight it, and uh, it, it would be... Um, for consumers and students looking for education options, you know, these are these are great choices. We think that the schools, the public schools, should do a better job of competing instead of the liberals attacking uh, the private schools and trying to take them out of business. 
So let's talk a little bit about what kind of schools you're mentioning, because a lot of people will say, well, what do you what do you mean? I mean, when we think of colleges and universities, we primarily think of the names that have become a part of our uh, educational lexicon. So, you know, the Harvard's, Princeton's, Yale's and then, you know, Purdue and, uh, you know, Alabama and, and you know, uh, Kentucky. You think of the, the different state schools, but those are not a problem for liberals because those schools are already primarily the, the dogma's there. They're already kind of spouting off everything liberals want. We're talking about a different kind of educational institution. What specifically, what kind of college or university is this that they're, that they're attacking? Well, exactly, Stacey. These are the schools that are filling the needs that some public schools don't fill. And, you know, you're talking about a University of Phoenix, a DeVry, a Strayer, schools that really excel at career education, that get students up and going, focusing not on um, folk dance or bottle making or whatever, <laughs> any other degree you may want to get. Women's I'm not going to knock that. If, <laughs> if you want to get, you know, if you want, you know, if you want to get a PhD in modern sitcoms, you know, that's your right. But, you know, we have a lot of people graduating from schools with hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, student debt, uh, with degrees that may not prepare them for the working world. And these schools, really focused. They, they fill a void and they cater to consumers, a lot of adults, a lot of people right out of high school who, who have a stronger idea know what they want to do. It could be nursing, engineering, IT, construction, the kind of jobs that um, really pay off. Uh, Gallup did a survey that showed that when people graduate from these schools, these career-oriented schools, their income will go up over 67%. So mm-hmm. they're really true. focused on getting people into the workforce. And, uh, you know, we believe in consumer choice, consumer options. We believe in competition among all education opportunities. We just think it's outrageous that a handful of liberals and some phony front groups are trying to attack them and say that they are you know, doing a terrible job and they'll use whatever information they can. They'll grab any anecdotal uh, skewed statistic. And they're really, they're really very focused on denigrating these schools. So I got to go back to something you said. (laughs) So let's just say you're an adult and you're already working, or maybe you've just graduated from high school. You're still an adult and you're looking at, you know, 50, 60,000 a year room and board to go to a school outside of your state, maybe 25, 30,000 to go in state to your school, maybe, maybe less than that. And you're going to have to take a lot of electives to get, you know, your graduation done at one of the, the more traditional colleges, a public school. But maybe you're thinking to yourself, you know what, that DeVry University or, you know, the American University or, or Strayer, um, they're actually, it's fewer electives. It's more actual classes in my, uh, my, my chosen career field, in my major and they're talking about me getting this thing done in three years. I'm going to have to really bust it, but and I'm going to go straight straight year round. I'm not taking any summers off, but I'm going to get this done in three years. And my my boss says if I get a bachelor's, then I'm now on the management track, and I can see there's money there. More and more Americans are taking this route, and there's nothing wrong with traditional college. And many people that's that that's probably going to be the primary way. But I see this what you're talking about here, the Strayers, that these different schools like this they're really taking a huge chunk out of the traditional educational model and their graduates are killing it. They're going into business, they're going into management, they're going on to get MBAs and they're doing things that they couldn't have done without these universities being in existence. Absolutely. That's, that's exactly the point. I, I went to a traditional school and I had a my freshman year. It's still kind of funny to me, but I had a gym requirement. I actually had to not get my college degree until I went until I passed two semesters of gym, I don't recall any interview where someone asked me how my handball was doing. <laughs> so, um, you know, one of the advantages these schools have is that, you're exactly right, they graduate people sooner, uh, under a year less undergraduate, can take up to, on average, over six years to graduate from a traditional public university, whereas it's around four for these private schools. And, um, you know, if you're, in, if you're interested in a specific career, these schools are great at getting the faculty, the people that are actually working in these industries. If you want to get a degree in petroleum engineering, one of these schools could get you a, an engineer that's actually working in the field now and teach you, you know, the latest uh, technologies and what's actually going on in the industry. At a public school, you might be stuck with a 75-year-old tenured professor who 
you know, is um, still mad about the um, you know, ExxonMobil <laughs> merger. So right. they really do cater to students and give them the opportunities they're looking for. So full disclosure here, I have some of my family members who've graduated from some of the universities that you named off when you first started talking. And mm-hmm. I can attest, you know, scouts honor, although I'm not a scout, just using that phraseology so you know, um, the the potential for improvement in your career trajectory is unlimited. And so what I was told, especially when uh, one, of, one of my family was, when they were thinking about doing this, I was talking to a friend who'd graduated from a big state school, one of the big 10 state schools. And of course, years and years ago, and she's a little older than I was, and she was saying, well, the thing is, if you graduate from one of these kind of for-profit, I'm flubbing that, for-profit universities, what happens is you need to get a master's from a traditional university or people aren't going to take that degree seriously. And I remember coming you know, back home and calling my, my family members saying, well, my friend says that these universities aren't taken seriously when it comes to jobs. And my family members said, yeah, your friend doesn't work in the industry that I'm in where half of my coworkers went back to school to get either undergrad or graduate degrees from Strayer and two other universities she named off. And she said, these places are respected in the industry because the graduates from there have already, they already have work experience. They're just getting the degree to, to kind of undergird that. She said, they're, they're getting promoted like crazy. That's why I'm going because I, I want to get promoted too. And I couldn't believe it right afterwards. Literally, she graduated. We flew there, celebrated with her. She got a promotion three months later. And now I can't, I, I can't even estimate how much more money she makes because she's so much mm-hmm. higher along than she was. And she got a, a undergrad in uh, it's the computer sciences. I can't remember specifically what it was, but I know it's in the computer science area. You're right about this, and I think it's like an untold secret for people. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. These schools are very much catered to career oriented, um, you know, to, to putting people into the jobs they're looking for. And the most important thing, really, is just that for consumers and students and potential students that we remain a broad choice, that people, that all the choices are out there. You can, uh, we shouldn't, you know, the, the politicians trying to, you know, put, run some of these schools out of business because they don't meet their ideological criteria is, is outrageous. It's, it's very hurtful for students. It's very hurtful for the economy. Um, it is just an ideologically driven agenda that serves absolutely nobody. And uh, the deceit they're putting forward in order to denigrate these schools is, is pretty outrageous. But uh, people would lose opportunities, especially less privileged people. These schools are a great value. They're very convenient. You can do online learning, and you get very, very much you get hands-on experience that sometimes you can't get at a private school. So, you know, we, we believe in education opportunity for everybody, and that should be, you know, all of the above. Uh, you, your school should not be picked out by Elizabeth Warren or Senator Durbin. You should have the right to choose whatever school is right for you. So, Jerry, let, let's let's unpack this a little further. When when you say the educational choice, um, well, I, I guess the first thing that comes to mind for me is that we keep seeing these studies and statistics out there about how many Americans are prepared to go into the STEM fields. And they're saying, you know, we just don't have enough Americans graduating in these fields to fill these jobs. We need people to come from overseas. Isn't what the Democrats are doing by attacking these universities actually exacerbating that problem? It it basically says, go to these traditional schools and take up clay modeling for a major while we import people from India and Pakistan and places like that who actually have degrees in science. And they're going to come here on visas and do these because these jobs pay a lot, 80, 90, 100 thousand dollars a year. And mm-hmm. Americans can't do them because they don't have the degrees in the proper field. Yeah, you're absolutely nailing exactly how the Democrats are, are talking out of both sides here. On the one hand, they say that, you know, any time a Republican's in the White House, they'll say that uh, there's job creation. These are cheap jobs. These aren't good jobs. They don't pay well. And um, that's not actually been true with this economy so far. But right now we do have about five to six million dollar dearth of, sorry, six million dollar, five or six million people. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, short of having a you know, fully skilled labor force. And these are exactly the kind of degrees, this is the kind of education that would fill this need. This is what people are looking for. It's what employers are looking for. So, right, we, we definitely need more skilled workers. And when you have a pipeline to schools that offer the uh, experience and training that will get these people good jobs, then it's absolutely outrageous that they are in a war employing the IRS and the Veterans Administration to try to shut them down. Okay, so 
I'm sure people are listening and they're thinking, okay, what, what exactly, which schools? So could you name off a few of the schools? And then could you also talk a little bit about, um, for, I know for me, I sometimes talk on the show about us as parents, we can Mm -hmm. kind of direct our kids. It's not like you're picking for them, but you can kind of direct them into science, technology, engineering, and math type career fields by encouraging them to take tougher math classes, encouraging them to take science classes when they're offered an elective in gym and they don't need it. Instead, they can take that intro to engineering class in high school just to just to try it. It's not, it doesn't mean it's your major. You just try it and see if they like it. If more American parents did that, wouldn't we see more of our kids, you know, filling that that huge gap? That's five to six million people. That's a lot of people. That's the population of the state of Missouri. It, it really is. And, you know, if somebody doesn't go to a great high school, I mean, I, I have friends today. I, I know my high school was hit or miss in some areas, and I've seen them years later, and they're doing amazing things. They, they're working in engineering or aeronautics. And I was thinking, I don't remember you being a math genius <laughs> back in <laughs> high school. So you get the one crack at it, and, you know, if you don't uh, excel, then you might be – uh, you might lose your opportunity. These schools offer a great, you know, a, a chance to you develop, you mature a little bit, you let your skills flourish. And I think that's something that you know higher education does in general is gives people a chance to mature and give them, um, you know, a, a place to really find their calling. And you know, it, it's really all all schools that uh, you know I mentioned a few before, like you know, University of Phoenix is very well known and. Mm-hmm. Strayer, DeBry, and you've seen these these schools are pretty well known, and but there's but there's a lot of others, and uh, you, you know they're in our communities, they're online, and they offer uh, you know great chances for for people to get these skills, and you know whereas otherwise you may have been told when you were younger you're no good at math, but you can try some classes at um, the local technical school, or mm-hmm. it might be online and find out you have a talent for it, so. Absolutely. It's, it's in all our best interest for education to be spread wide and far and for people to make decisions. We think consumers are smart. We don't think they should have their decisions made for them. So we believe they're smart. They can look at all the opportunities out there, pick the one that's best for them, give it a shot. And education opportunity is really what we're trying to protect. And Jerry, I, I just want to echo what you've said there. I, I hope if you're listening to this or maybe you're, you're thinking, wow, Maybe I should let my teenager listen to this, or maybe I should let my 19 or 20-year-old young adult listen to this because they're working and they're not satisfied. But now that they've gotten some work history under their belt, they they're really might be more motivated to go to school. We're talking about for, for families that don't have the means to, to shell out 55 grand a year and you don't want to take on student loans. Your child can continue to live at home and work part-time and go to school at one of these universities and come out with that degree and get a really good professional job and not have $200,000 in student loan debt. They might have some, but not nearly the amount they would have if they were borrowing for room and board, et cetera, et cetera. So this is, this is literally the American dream where we, we create our own destiny here by creating things. When we see a need, Amer- some American wakes up in the middle of the night and says, I got it. And they, they create the, the answer to it, which is what these schools are. They're the answer to families who can't afford the other options. Absolutely. It's worked for millions of people already. We've got to get people to to kind of consider it. I think what most people are doing is they're looking around and they're going, we can't afford that school and we're not willing to take on this debt. And so that must mean we just got to get out in the workforce. Nope. There's one other option and it's these schools. Yeah, there's no one one size fits all category. Unfortunately, like you see with health plans, what they do with Obamacare and almost anything that the Democrats try to restrict our choices, this is a one size does not fit all in education either. And these options are very important, both for the workforce and for the economy and just for individual opportunity, which we really need to protect. Jerry Simaka, VP of Consumer Action for a Strong Economy. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Stacey. Really appreciate it. Talk to you again soon. Oh, so good to talk to him. It's a subject, as you can tell, I'm really fired up about it. And I hope that you'll share this podcast. You can find it at AFR.net with someone who might need this information because the opportunities are out there. All right. We'll be back with more right after this.
This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. Christians, where are you? New York State's legislature just passed a bill making all forms of abortion legal up to birth by doctors and non-doctors. The bloodthirsty death worshipers then went on to light up the World Trade Center in pink to celebrate. Meanwhile, Planned Parenthood's annual report shows the abortion giant doing 11,000 more abortions than the prior reporting year and performing fewer women's health care screenings, all while turning a multi-million dollar profit. In the natural, it looks as if taxpayer-funded abortion is here to stay. But what does God's word say? If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. America needs our prayers. Christians, the Bible is talking to you. I'm Stacy Washington. Find out more at StacyOnTheRight.com. Equipped with Chris Brooks. This program is an apologetic endeavor. What I want to do is really train you in the art and science of defending and commending your Christian faith to people who maybe they've been hurt by the church, maybe they don't believe like you believe, and you're saying to yourself, how do I have an effective conversation with them? Well, we're looking for an evangelistic edge, if you will, that will allow us to more effectively, more contextualize the gospel so that we can reach men and women for Christ. Quite often, the on-ramp, if you will, is looking at culture and taking advantage of the conversations that folks are already having and saying, how can I leverage this to get people to talk about Jesus? This show becomes kind of massively significant to you if your desire is to reach people for Christ. Get equipped with Chris Brooks. Join me Monday through Friday at noon Central Time on Urban Family Talk. Fox on Tech. Alphabet, Google's parent company, is exploring the health technology space with their life sciences division, Verily. Verily is reportedly working on a health tracking shoe that will measure movement, weights, even have the ability to detect falls. Right now, the rumors suggest the shoe is a prototype, and Verily would need a partner to build and market the shoes. Technology is finding a home in healthcare. A shoe that could detect a fall could easily be linked to other devices to alert emergency officials or nearby neighbors or family. The ability to track movement and weight could also be useful for folks trying to lose weight and get in shape. Apple also added fall detection to the newest version of its Apple Watch, which, if detected, does contact emergency officials. The Apple Watch also has the ability to detect some forms of atrial fibrillation and has been credited with alerting users to life-threatening health issues. Verily was known as Google Life Sciences until 2015 when it became a separate company under parent company Alphabet. With Fox on Tech, I'm Brett Larson, Fox News. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. For years, Russia has violated the terms of the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty without remorse. To this day, Russia remains in material breach of its treaty obligations not to produce, possess, or flight test a ground-launched intermediate range cruise missile system with a range between 500 and and 5,500 kilometers. In spite of this violation, for almost six years, the United States has gone to tremendous lengths to preserve this agreement and to ensure security for our people, our allies, and our partners. We have raised Russia's noncompliance with Russian officials, including at the highest levels of government, more than 30 times. Yet Russia continues to deny that its missile system is noncompliant and violates the treaty. Russia's violation puts millions of Europeans and Americans at greater risk. It aims to put the United States at a military disadvantage, and it undercuts the chances of moving our bilateral relationship in a better direction. It's our duty to respond appropriately. When an agreement is so brazenly disregarded and our security is so openly threatened, we must respond. We did that last December, when the United States with strong support from all of our NATO allies, formally declared Russia in material breach of the treaty. Um, That was Secretary of State Pompeo, and he's talking about this uh, intermediate nuclear, it's Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty. And it's been in effect for all of these decades, and America has really been on the short end of the stick there because the Russians have been as is the case with a lot of these treaties and no-fly zones and things that we do with these foreign countries, they're just like, you know what? (laughs) We're not going to 
exactly pay attention to what this thing says. We're going to kind of still do what we do, which is we're going to have some extra missiles over here. We're going to test these kind of missiles over there. And we're going to have a little bit more missiles than we're allowed to under the treaty. And what are you going to do about it? Sweater vests, wearer, or Democrat who we can buy off with a couple of $500,000 speeches. And they've been able to get away with this. So now you got President Trump, who honestly, he just lays out everything. And he says, uh, this is on the table now. I don't like it. And that is why I have been so, I've just been impressed by his candor, by him saying, you know what? This is a garbage treater, treaty, treater. <laughs> this is a garbage treaty. That's what he's saying. He looks at it and he says, uh, you know what? This, if I'm reading this right, do they abide by this? And everybody in the room says, no, no, President Trump, they don't. They don't abide by it. Then why are we abiding by it? It's not a treaty if half the people in it aren't participating. And it's not a treaty if other nations that are really important in the space aren't also a part of it. If it's a treaty and only one person is abiding by it and the other person's not, and the other parties that need to be in it aren't even at the table, then it's really just a clamp on us. You can't do this. You can't do that, which serves the liberal agenda because they're the ones who are like, we don't need missiles like that. We don't need... I can't tell you how many times I've had a, a liberal, this is how they think. Well, you don't need guns. How do you know what I need? Tell me how many times you've actually been attacked. I'm like, well, why do I have to discuss it with you? Like, I don't even know you. I just, you could be a criminal yourself. We just met. Why should I tell you if I've ever been attacked or if I have security issues, why should I discuss it with you instead of just lawfully obtaining methods to protect myself? Why do you have to even be involved? And that's the way they are about our national security as well. Well, why do you need to do, why do we need, why do we need that many missiles? Why do you need to be in the conversation? You're dumber than two rocks sitting next to each other. Why do you get to discuss this? That, and that's what we have to start asking these people. Thomas Sowell actually, he says, there are three questions you should ask every time a liberal proposes a policy. The questions are, compared to what? At what cost? And what hard evidence do you have to support what you're saying? Not your feelings, not your emotions, but hard evidence. When you look at it like that, all of a sudden, when you listen to it like that, when, when you think about it like that, all of a sudden, a lot of the things that the liberals are advocating for do not, they don't hold water. So now I want to listen to this a little bit of audio. This is great stuff. It's Senator Richard Shelby. He's talking about the testimony from border experts that could get us off of politics and onto substance. And this is where we need to go with this thing. What solutions need to be implemented? How much do they cost? And the total amount that needs to be approved by Congress is what? And then how long it will it take to get it implemented? And what other things would you request? Department of Homeland Security, U.S. Customs, Border Patrol, what, et cetera, et cetera. ICE, Immigration Customs Enforcement. What, what is on your wish list of things to have to secure the border, to protect people who are uh, you know, vulnerable populations who are being smuggled, to protect people from being uh, caught up in the drug cartels? What do you need? You see what I'm saying? So it's not just about sealing off the border and devil may care. It's about all sides really having input and having a serious discussion that leads to solutions instead of just gridlock, which is what we're seeing now. It's number one. Uh, I think that uh, the president is, is dead set on uh, keeping his campaign promise. I support border security, a wall, a fence, a barrier, whatever it takes. I also support enhanced uh, procedures, tech, technology, and more manpower. We've got to have a comprehensive approach to this. Uh, I believe that we've got a chance this week to move things. Will we? We don't know. The president could be right. We could be wasting our time. On the other hand, we could come up to a solution. But as long, Jake, as long as the speaker and the president are way at odds, uh, the chances of us reaching an agreement are, are slim, but it could happen. Uh, as a matter of fact, later this week, coming up, uh, we've asked the professionals, the people who do the work, that know something about the border, uh, know what they need. Do they need a wall? they need a fence? they need uh, uh, more technology? Do they need it all? Uh, we're going to have them up before the Appropriation uh, uh, Conference Committee, and we're going to find out what they want. I think it's not what I need. 
or what the speaker needs or even the president needs. It's what we need to secure our borders. And if we get this information from the experts, it could move us off the dime. So then, and, and of course, the, the, the operative thing here is for him as he's operating in good faith. He's saying, if we hear from them what they need, then what do we do? Um, I, I think they, they move forward with some solutions. I love in some ways that it is so hard to get things done in Washington, D.C., because so much of what they do, the unintended consequences end up having negative ramifications for Americans. But on the other hand, for something like this, which is clearly within their constitutional mandate, and they, they are required to do this, there's, there has to be a mechanism by which people who want to stop America from being safe can be sidestepped. You know, in, in the private sector, if you had a company that was trying to do some things to fix a problem and you had a bunch of people who were trying to stop it and they didn't care one way or the other whether or not the, the, the problem was solved, that person would be fired. Those people would be removed from the board. They'd be voted off. They would be, uh, the, that contractor would have their contract canceled and others would be brought in who could actually get the job done. This is the government. And this is the, it's kind of the beauty of the government, but it's also the downfall because we're talking about dead Americans. The consequence of doing nothing for the solutions that we need at the border is more Americans dying because we haven't done anything. Here he is. He rounds out his comments. It's Senator Shelby, too. I think we've got to listen to the experts. We've got to listen to the people who do it every day that know what the challenge is. Because we do, Jake, we do have problems with our borders. We have not secured our borders. The president's absolutely right there. It's a question, how do we get off the politics and to the substance? If we can do that, we'll get the job done. So getting off of the politics and onto the substance. And I think we're going to hear an echo of that tonight on the State of the Union. Uh, you know, it's important. Um, I would say something else, but I, what, what, I, what I will do is, rather than going off into a semi-tangent, um, I had someone ask me if we would discuss Senator Cory Booker's comments. He's back at it again, uh, attacking someone for their faith, asking them if they believe that um, homosexual marriage or gay marriage is... Uh, a sin. Now, let me set the stage for you. This is a confirmation hearing. D.C. Circuit Court nominee Naomi Rao is a Republican, and she has been nominated to the D.C. Circuit Court. You got Senator Cory Booker of New Jersey, Democrat, ask her some questions about her beliefs on sin during her Senate confirmation hearing earlier today. He took issue with an article she wrote years ago about Lawrence v. Texas, which is a Supreme Court decision that struck down sodomy laws. He asked her about her views on gay relationships. Now, remember, everybody up until just a few weeks ago, everybody thought Senator Cory Booker was a homosexual. Now he's been touting past girlfriends, and he says he's a heterosexual. But whenever someone is up for a nomination to a judicial uh, nomination, you know, court, anything, the first thing he does is starts asking them what they think about gay sex. This is, this is where he goes every single time. He loses his temper, he gets crazy eyes, and he starts yelling and gesturing wildly. So here's what he said. Are gay relationships, in your opinion, immoral? Um, Senator, I'm not sure the relevance of that too. She starts to respond. He says, I think it's relevant to your opinion. If you think African-American relationships are immoral, do you think that game relationships are immoral? I do not. Do you believe they are a sin? Senator, my personal views on any of these things are things I would put to one side. So you're not saying here, whether you believe it's sinful for two men to be married, you're not willing to comment on that. She said, Senator, no. He said, excuse me, I didn't hear your response. She said, my answer is that these personal views are ones that I would put to one side. Whatever my personal views are on the subject, I would faithfully follow the precedents of the Supreme Court. Now, I've heard this argument put forward before by a number of conservatives who've been questioned in this way when they go up for these appointments. 
I don't like that they say, I will put my personal views to one side. What I think they should say is, my personal views are constitutionally protected. And as I have done previous to this point, I will continue to uphold the law of the land until such time as that law has been properly legislatively changed. And then at that point, I will uphold that law. I will render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, but my personal views will remain my personal views. And if you'd like to know what they are, I'll tell you, but that cannot be a means by which you would unconstitutionally prevent me from accepting a conf a, a, an offer of a position in the U.S. government because the Constitution protects my personal views. That's what I want to hear one of these people say. It's the truth. Why do they continue to sit there and meekly say they're going to put their views to one side? They're not putting their views to the side. They're upholding the law. The views remain the same. Just the same as he believes in same-sex marriage, she believes that it's not same-sex marriage, that marriage can only between, be between a man and a woman. What did he do when, his, when, when the law wasn't on his side? He advocated for what he believed in. She is going to uphold the law and advocate for what she believes in. I think the reason we lose these battles is because we look as if we don't really believe what we believe. Now, you might say, well, if she says that, then there's no way she's getting confirmed. I don't think so. First of all, that's not exactly how God works, is it? Does God say to his people, make sure and sound as if you're not sure if you believe that my word is true and that I'm here and, and I'm real? Or does he say, boldly go forth and declare the truth and the gospel and it will set you free. It will set the captives free. And does he not say he will go before us? When you're in God's will, he goes before you. Go into the Old Testament and look at how many times David prayed to God, shall I go after this one or that one? Shall I go and take back what they've stolen? Shall we go and destroy them? Do we go into battle with these ones or that ones? You, you, you hear what I'm saying? And each time God was like, yep, go. I've already delivered them into your hand or no, stay where you are. It's not yet time. Most of the time he told David so much so that David couldn't build the temple. One of David's descendants had to build the temple because God said, you've made too much. You shed too much blood for you to be the one to build the temple. <laughs> you just, you're a warrior. That's not your job. <laughs> I've just given too many of these folk. Uh, you know, into your hand <laughs> as you asked me to do. Okay, so do we not still live with this? We serve the same God. We serve the same God. So, you know, when he says no, when the door gets slammed shut in your face so hard, your nose is a little bit smushed or your toes got stomped, um, you know, you, you, you can choose to be downtrodden about it and just, you know, wailing and moaning. Or you can say, uh-oh, this is not the direction God has for me to go. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold back and wait for the next go. Whatever the case is, I would answer that these personal views are ones that I would put to one side whenever my personal views are on the subject. That mealy mouth garbage isn't going to win anything for us. You go forward in courage for what God has asked you to do, and he will give the enemy into your hand, whether it's a political enemy or an enemy of any type. Ask him, did he say go? If he said go, go get it. Stop being mealy mouth about it. I wish I could talk to this lady for a few minutes. Anyway, God bless you from the heartland citizens. Thank you for making your home at American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Back with you tomorrow. See you online after the State of the Union.